The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through to chapter 2, verse 3. So Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 1, 13 through to chapter 2, verse 3. And it's entitled, Be Holy. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty, li- empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks, Carrie. <coughs> Morning, everyone. Thank you to Pastor David and to Daryl, as well as leading us in that Anzac part of our service. And a special thank you to, without wanting to embarrass her, but to express publicly our appreciation for Heather, who made those beautiful poppies, crocheted them. If you haven't seen them, they're on the table in the foyer. And you may have one of those, and we invite you to make simply a gold note donation. (laughs) Just a donation that you could afford. If you don't have any cash with you, that's okay. We take credit cards, IOUs, checks, and all sorts. And the money, of course, will go as you've been informed to World Mission. So thank you, Heather, for that. They're absolutely beautiful. And uh, I understand the colours. The red is, we remember the fallen. The purple, there are some purple ones there, that's for the, for the animals. I thought it was for the horses, but uh, Rhonda said, no, no, there were dogs and donkeys and other animals. So that's to remember them. And there was a white one, which is for peace. Now, I don't think there's a white one there, but there's mauve and there's red ones there if you would like to have a look at them. They have different centres and they're beautiful. They're very well done. And the wreath over here is one with all of them together. So thank you for that. 
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather at home, here in the building, to gather together, physically and spiritually, in your presence, to be reminded of wonderful truths out of your word, the Bible. We thank you for it. We thank you for your spirit. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit now might take your words and enlighten our hearts with truth shape our minds and our thinking and help us to make good and wise choices that our behavior might reflect the reality of christ in us the hope of glory we ask and pray in his name everybody said we're in 1 peter chapter 1 and the second half of it just the beginning in the first half of the letter to peter uh, 1 peter uh, Peter takes about one and a half chapters, about halfway through chapter 2, simply identifying who we are in Christ and they're flowing out of that, how we, that should impact us, some of the consequences from it. And this morning we'll be doing, continuing that sort of theme. And then it's not until halfway through chapter 2 and, towards the, and to the end of the book, chapter 5, that he will start giving the reasons for why he is actually writing to them. I've entitled this morning's message, How to Live... In this dark world, thank you, Gary. I forgot. Um, because we know Jesus, we've been changed. We've been born again, changed. And now we are to walk in the light, just like Jesus says in John chapter 12. Verse 13 begins with, Therefore, in light of who you are, you've been chosen by God before uh, creation. You're on God's team. You're part of his family. You've been born again and changed uh, to become more like Jesus. You have an inheritance, he says in the top half of the chapter, um, that you can't lose, which gives us a living hope. Uh, and even though we experience trials now as we follow Jesus, nonetheless, we believe in him, we haven't seen him, but we love him and believe in him. And Peter says in verse 8 that we have a joy inexpressible. As we follow Jesus, that's to be our experience. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, this welling up of joy, of sins forgiven, of hope of eternity, of um, purpose and meaning in the here and now. And we are the recipients, Peter says in verses 10 to 12, of what the prophets predicted and what the angels continue to ponder. I like the analogy of uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, who back when he was a boy in England, they, would, they had street lights and the street lights were gas lit by gas and so they were individually lit there was a, a lamp lighter who would go through at the at sundown and they'd be lighting all the street lamps and and so on and robert louis stevenson as a boy looked at that and said to his mum and dad look they're punching holes in the darkness it's a nice phrase isn't it it's a great picture and that's what we are as we follow jesus we are little lamps in a dark world punching holes in the darkness shining for him and so this message is about how to live in this dark world. And Peter tells us that it begins in our mind, it flows out into our behaviour, and it comes from the focus of our will, of the choices we make on a daily basis. So how to live in this dark world. Peter says in verse 13... Oh, sorry. I hope you can read that clearly. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, 
Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Therefore, in light of all the things that I've just told you, that I've just said to you, this is the consequence of it. He says, be alert and sober in your thinking. To be alert is the NIV way of translating what other versions will say is gird up the loins of your mind, which is, you can understand why they, it means to be alert, but you can understand why they changed the analogy, because it's rather an awkward one. We don't, in our culture, men don't wear robes. Occasionally, some people might in some parts of culture, but it's not normal, but in the ancient world, all men wore robes. And so when it came to doing any sort of work or being involved even in a battle, you would need to gird up the cloth, the bottom of the robes, and you would pull that up and you would tuck it into your belt. You would gird up your loins. That's what it means, to be alert, to be ready for action. And Peter says that this is to happen in your mind. Roll up your sleeves mentally. Think through. Pull together all that loose thinking and distractions that you may have going on in your mind and think very clearly um, about God's will, God's direction and what's going on in your life. There is a mental work to be done. There are mental battles to be fought. We must think through questions and issues and problems, not simply be passive listeners to God's word, but to think through what does it mean and how does it apply to me? We're not to empty our minds, as in some forms of meditation or whatever, but rather we are people of the book and we, it's, this is God's revelation to us and we are to use our minds to understand and to apply. To gird up the loins of your minds reminds me of, I've done uh, a few weddings in my time and one of the things in, at the rehearsal, <clears throat> there are a couple of things that couples don't usually think about. Um, and even on the day of the wedding, they can even forget about. Uh, one is where we hold hands, you know, and I put my hand on top of their hand. That's fun at many weddings because they forget the order and the sequence of which it's to be done. It's very orderly and structured. Normally we're doing this. So I step back and just let them do it. The other one, which is really fun at the rehearsal, because they're not, they're just dressed in normal. Uh, the bride is not in her wedding gown, of course, because it's simply the rehearsal. Um, and so we walk down the aisle and we get to the steps at the front and she's got a bouquet which is probably like a bottle because we didn't, don't have flowers at the rehearsal. So she's holding her bouquet and she's got her arm on Dad's arm and she's walking down the aisle and then um, Dad shakes his hand and then Dad takes her arm and puts it in his arm and then she goes to go up the stairs which she just walks straight up. See your problem? Some of you will. She's not wearing a dress at rehearsals, but on the day she is. And if she does what she just did, when she gets to the steps, she will go boom and tread on her. I've seen brides back up and try it again. Never works. I've also seen a bride, only one tried this. She tried to push herself. <laughs> She'll faceplant herself as she keeps doing that. The instruction is very simple. You need to gird up the loins of your wedding garment. I don't think a bride should do that, but she needs to take the hand of her husband, take the bouquet and put it in that hand, and then with this hand she has the freedom to lift the dress. Simple, isn't it? At rehearsal it looks stupid. 
but on the day, the brides that listen, the brides that do it, goes beautifully. Those who don't listen, those who don't do what they've been instructed to do, problem. Make sense? Well, that's what Peter's saying to us here. Therefore, make sure your minds are alert, fully sober, <clears throat> which is strange language. He's not talk, talking about not being intoxicated, but if a person is intoxicated, then I would imagine that what they're doing is wandering all over the place. You know, they haven't got control of themselves. So in our minds, we are to be sober in our thinking, which means not distracted by crises or problems or issues, or, but to be focused, not distracted to be clear in our thinking. And all of that in the light of Jesus is coming, grace is coming, something's coming. And Peter tells us it's the arrival of Jesus who's going to extend his grace to us. I love that song that we were singing of, um, Lord, I need you, every hour I need you. I actually don't sing the words that are up there, I sing better words. (laughs) Sorry. Lord, my one request... The words are, Lord, my one defence, your righteousness. My icing, I just close my eyes and just pull, it's natural for me to do this, for me. Um, Lord, my one request for righteousness. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. There's a couple of other words I changed to and sing it wrong, but that's beside the point. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. Jesus is coming. If you believe in him, then you're going to heaven. That's the hope when he comes. All is forgiven and all is changed. And not to be distracted by all the things that go on in our life. In the Olympics in Athens in 2004, was an American uh, air rifle shooter who was clearly ahead of the pack and he was winning right up until the last round. And he, um, all he had to do was really hit the target. He was so many points in front. He didn't need a bullseye. He didn't even need close to the bullseye. He just needed to be around near it, just in the centre somewhere. He was so far in front. And when he got there, something happened. He aimed, he lined up, and he missed. He was in lane three. He had lined, lined up on target in lane two. And he had hit it. But he scored zero. Never happened before. Why? Because he was distracted by something. He lost focus. That's what can happen to us. So Peter says, therefore, be thinking. Be always thinking, analysing. Be careful. There's a mental battle going on and there's mental work to be done. Fact, faith, feeling. In that order. Peter goes on and he says, um, as obedient children, so he's talking about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we are to be obedient. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We've all been brought up and uh, we have different cultures, different parents and different traditions, different habits that have come to us Um, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with those except if you're relying upon those to make you right with God. But as obedient children now, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you were raised by these other traditions that we... how you once lived in ignorance... All of us are affected by sin, all of us are broken, all of us have weaknesses and issues and blind spots and Peter's saying we've actually were born with it, we've grown up with it and before we knew Jesus that was normal. Now that we know Jesus, it's put that aside. 
No longer behave the way that you used to behave. Be different as he is wanting you to be different. Verse 15 says, But just as he who called you is holy, say, Be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Peter is talking about there are some negative things. This is now out of our mind into our conduct. There are certain negative things to put aside. Verse 14, some of those previous uh, bad habits and lusts and sins and things that we give into, say no to them, walk away from them. Um, and positively, learn to say yes. Say, <laughs> this is all right. Stephen Tan for everybody at home. <laughs> Was that bad? I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you, but that is his name. Too late. Learn to say yes to your Heavenly Father as obedient children. Holy, did you notice in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in some of the things that you do. Is that what it says? No, I misread it. So be holy in most of the things that you do. No. Peter says to be holy in all that you do every aspect of our life. What does it mean to be holy? It's an interesting word and I'm pretty sure most people, certainly in society, misunderstand it. Let's try an experiment. Just turn to the person beside you or around you, in front of you or wherever and just tell them what you think holiness is or let them tell you what you think holiness is. Go, I'll give you 30 seconds. Holiness. Okay, that's enough. If we ask 10 people what they think holiness is, we'd probably get 10 different answers. Who's willing to share? Not what they think, but what the person told them. <laughs> Who's willing to share? Charlie did? What did Charlie say? I don't care. We'll find out. If it's right, you said it. If it's wrong, she said To do with sanctification being set aside to be used for God and his purposes. That's not a bad answer, is it? Well done, Pastor Charlie. <laughs> Holiness. wonder what you said. Pure. The word literally means to be set apart. Holiness means different. So if a table is holy, it has been set apart from all other tables to be used for special purposes, whatever those purposes happen to be. That would be holy. That's what the word literally means. Different, set apart, other. So when it says God is holy, he's different. He's other. And he's set apart from all else, from his own creation. He is holy. Which then overflows secondarily into the conduct, your behaviour, your morals and manners and so on righteousness as charlie said sanctification so that's what it means to be holy and that's what peter's calling us to do to be holy to be different to be other than the people around us um, the message expresses it as life shaped by god's life dwelling in us we are to live in such a way that people when they see us and get to know us will associate that we are connected with God, 
We are to be different. Not like the world. Don't take that the wrong way either. We're not to be holier than thou. We're not to be self-righteous. So we're not to be superior, because we're not. We're simply to be normal, ordinary people who are different, genuinely, because we seek to follow Jesus. That doesn't mean people that we're different to are bad, because we're all sinners. We're no better than them, but we are to be different. And we are primarily to be different to what we used to be. So my goal is not to be different to you or different to Rhonda or different to whoever. My goal is to be different to who I once was. My life is to be changing, to becoming better and more like Jesus. So whether my kids and my grandkids, my neighbours, my friends, my work colleagues, <coughs> my work colleagues, <laughs> when they see me, will go, you remind me of Jesus. <laughs> All right, I've got a little way to go. We all do. That's the journey we're on. That people are to associate us with, we belong to him because God is watching us and he wants us to have his family resemblance. His, we are to reflect him, to be different. Not in some areas of our life, but in all areas of our life. It's a bit like having a house. When we were in London, we went and visited several houses, but we went to Buckingham Palace. And when we went to Buckingham Palace, I can remember this, a beautiful building and so on. And you go into certain rooms and you go along corridors and they give you a tour and so on. But there are some stairs and some rooms that have a red cord in front of them on stands and it's got no admittance. It's blocked off. You can't get in for whatever reason. And we can't go in there because we don't live there. We're visitors, we're guests. But if you were part of the royal family, you could go into any and every room, I would imagine. So when Jesus comes to live in us, he's not a guest and he's not a visitor. So there are no blocked off areas. He has access to every area of our life. That's what Peter's alluding to. So it's, I am to be holy, I'm to be different, I'm to be God-centered, God-focused in every dimension, every department, every room of my life. So it's when I wake up, when I get up, when I have a shower, when I shave, when I clean my teeth, when I use deodorant, if I choose to use deodorant, at breakfast, when I'm in the car, when I walk, in the office, at a factory, in shopping or classroom, at lunch, in the boardroom, in the bedroom, God at home, front yard, backyard, in all of my conduct, every area of our life is to be linked with him. And holiness is letting God take care of the inner space, having God rule in us, and when he does, when our inner space is right, then our outer space, our outward behaviour, will be right. That's what we're doing in Master Life. At the centre of the cross, there is a very large circle, and it's got Christ in us. It all flows out of our relationship with him, knowing him personally. The world doesn't understand holiness. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. That's why we have to show it to them. It's not about being religious. It's not about morally superior. It's about being like Jesus in all of our relationships, in all that we say and all that we do. They have to see it in us. 
And then Peter goes on in verse 16 and he emphasizes that for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's a choice. It's something we know. He's quoting the scriptures. And so we, by reading the scriptures, are likewise going to be influenced by God's word, God's truth and God's revelation. And so that will then in turn feed this inner development, this inner growth, this change within. It's because the Bible says so in verse 17, because judgment day is coming. Peter goes on to say, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out the time here as different people, as foreigners, with a real sense of deep respect for God in reverent fear. It's not just believing, it's having this deep inner conviction. So think clearly, think carefully, walk in a holy manner and choose decisively and God will make you different. He'll improve, there'll be a new and better you. Let's move on. Verse 18 and 19. Peter says, For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. It's a mouthful. For you know that it's not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed, you've been ransomed, you've been paid for, you've been bought. Peter is talking about, we are precious to God. He paid for us. He gave his very best for us. There was a lady, in uh, a tourist in France, Paris, France. Went to a little gift shop, found a little bracelet. was very inexpensive, <clears throat> $20 or something like that. And then when it was time for her to leave and she's going through the airport in Paris, ready to try to get on her plane, <clears throat> they searched her and they found this little inexpensive bracelet and they said to her that she would be required to pay, pay a rather significant amount of tax duty. And she thought, what? Because it's only a $20 bracelet. So she left that, kept the bracelet and stuff, and went back into the air, went to a jeweller gave the jeweller the bracelet, said, what do you think this is worth? And he looked at it, and the jeweller said, I'll give you $25,000 for it right now. She went, that's strange. So she went and got a second opinion, went to a second jeweller. He went above that, he said, I'll give you $35,000 right now for it. And she says, what is it with this little bracelet? She said, I only paid $20 for it, and you're offering me $35,000. He said, come here, and she came around the counter, and he gave her a little magnifying glass that they looked through, and he said, just read, look there. And written on the back of the bracelet in very small font is from Napoleon to Josephine. Napoleon Bonaparte. It wasn't valuable because of where it was bought. It wasn't valuable because of the era it lived in. It wasn't even valuable because it was given to Josephine. It was valuable because of the person who gave it, Napoleon. That's what made it valuable to these guys. That's what makes us valuable, precious him he gave his very best the Lord Jesus we are precious to him that's what he's saying here in verses 18 and 19 and I don't I read this during the week and I haven't done any background research on it but have you ever heard of anti-hydrogen I hadn't so I'm taking a risk I'm quoting what I had read anti-hydrogen according to this is the most precious substance in the universe anti-hydrogen 
It is valued at 1,771 trillion dollars an ounce. 1,771 trillion, that's 12 zeros per ounce. That is so rare that they only use it for research purposes. We are more valuable to God than that stuff because look at the price that he paid for us. Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So Peter goes, he's saying, um, for you know it's not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Verse 19, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Our predicament is that we have an empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. But because we are valuable to God, precious to him, he paid the best amount in order to get us back. Our predicament was that we live without Christ, we live in an empty world. But he paid the price for us. When man landed on the moon, what went through the, his mind, not Armstrong, the other one, Baldwin, what went through his mind um, was how safe am I? And it occurred to him that his safety at that point on the moon was determined by the lowest price of a tender to the government in order to build the spaceship that got them there. The lowest price tender. Whereas ours is the opposite. God didn't go for the lowest bid, but he paid the highest price, the precious blood of Jesus. And it, by the passage says that Jesus is without blemish and without spot. Without blemish means there was no inherited defect. Without spot, there was no acquired defect when he lived. It's a beautiful image to saying he wasn't born in sin and he didn't commit a sin. He was sinless. Romans 8.3 says that he appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh, fully human, tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. Let me just sidetrack for a second. I thought this was interesting. I enjoyed it anyway. Way back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed two, and most, we don't know, but most scholars tend to think it was a lamb. God killed two lambs, so that's one lamb per person, clothed them with his skins, and then removed them from the Garden of Eden. So one lamb per person. In Exodus chapter 12, when you have the Passover and you get God saving the nation of Israel, it was one lamb on the doorpost to save a family, one lamb for the household. In Leviticus 23, when it comes to the Passover sacrifice, it's one lamb for the nation of Israel. And then in John chapter 1, where John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One lamb for the whole world. One lamb for one person, one lamb for one family, one lamb for one nation, down to Jesus, one lamb for the world. The only antidote to the sin virus, the blood of Jesus. So, this is 
Um, we are precious to God. Our predicament was that we're in, uh, living an empty life and in sin and we couldn't get out of it, but God paid the ultimate price. This is God's plan. Um, it goes on to say, verse 20, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. That's God's plan. Before God said, let there be light, before God made the heavens and the earth, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God already had a plan. That Father, Son, the Holy Spirit had a conversation. There was a plan that God the Son would come to earth and become a human and be the Lamb who would pay for the sins of the world. That's God's plan. And we have a part in God's plan in verse 21. Through Him, Jesus, you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our part is to believe. Our part is to have faith and to look forward to the hope that we have. You can't work for it, you can't buy it, you can't be good enough for it, but you can receive it as a gift. You can't clean up your life enough for God to accept you. But you can come as you are. And He can cleanse you, He can forgive you, He can change you. When you catch a fish, then you clean it. You don't say to the fish, clean yourself up and then I'll catch you. So too with God. We come to Him. And we believe, it's not just in our head, I believe, but it goes deeper than that. It becomes, I believe and I practice it. I am, it's a conviction. For instance, I better finish up. Um, <clears throat> I believe that having a cold bath on Saturdays is good for your health. Anybody agree with me? Nobody. <laughs> well, I believe having a cold bath on Saturdays is good for your health. Do you have a cold bath on Saturdays? No. But I believe it. And so you see, just I think it. That's not what the Bible means when it says believe. When it says believe, it's down, it's a commitment. It's I believe it and I act on it. And in this case, you're believing and trusting another person. And it's the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can wash away our sin. There was a book put out by Consumer Price, a little book that they put out, they do annual reports and so on. How to clean almost practically anything. They had solvents, could remove all these different things. Here is a list. Glycerin will remove ballpoint stains. Boiling water will remove any berry stain. Vinegar will take care of crown stains. Ammonia will handle blood stains. Alcohol will take care of grass stains. Hydrogen, perox no, hydrogen peroxide will remove magic marker stains. Bleach will remove mildew stains. Lemon juice will eradicate rust stains. There's nothing in the book to remove sin stains. But there is in this book. The blood of Jesus washes away our sin. Let me hasten to the end. Peter has been telling us how to live in the darkness. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, now that you've obeyed the gospel, and you've been given a sincere love for each other, that goes with the deal. God's love shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit given to us. Now the command is, verse 22, love one another deeply from the heart. God has given it to you, so behave that way towards one another. Love one another deeply. For you've been born again, verse 23, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. That's the gospel that was preached to us. Negatively, therefore... Chapter 2, verse 1. Remove these things from your life. 
verses 2 and 3, positively, commit yourself like a newborn babe as desires milk. So, as followers of Jesus, desire the truth of his word in order that you may grow. Love one another deeply, get rid of that bad stuff that's in verse 1 and read God's word in order that you might love. Okay, all of that, what does it mean? Well, how to live in the dark world. It begins in your mind, think clearly, verse 13. And then flowing out of clear thinking, uh, actions for you to take, choices. Put aside the negative, embrace the positive, be obedient to your heavenly Father. And it's a matter of your choices, your day-by-day decisions of what you're going to do, to be holy in every part of your life, into every room, because that's what the Bible says we are to do and because judgment is coming. Jesus is watching us. We are precious to him because he has redeemed us. Our predicament was that we were caught in sin and in all these bad habits and we couldn't save ourselves, but God has come and he has paid the price, the ultimate price, the blood of Jesus for us. This is God's plan all along before the creation of the world and our part is to respond to it, to believe and have faith and hope in him. That's what Peter is teaching us. And he'll go on next week to clarify our identity. Who are we now that we are in Christ? And then he'll get on to the reason he wrote the letter. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your plan. Lord, it's incredible that you would so value us. You made us in your image and yet we rebelled against you. But you've pursued us. And you've paid the ultimate price, the blood of Jesus, to bring us back to yourself and to be part of your family. And as part of your family, Lord, you want us to reflect your character and your choices, your will in our lives, both with one another, but also to those around us. Help us, Lord, to be light, living in the darkness. Lord, shine through us, we pray, in Jesus' name.